Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Hamilton Teachers Unions are pushing against live video conferencing during this pandemic. We'll find out what that concern is. The pandemic has also put a strain on our health care system, and the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario have put together a framework for improvements for the health care system. And Henry Jasek joins us to talk about how well the U.S. is handling the virus now that the White House has members of their staff that are infected. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We're not sure what's going to happen with the school year. As we know, yesterday the Premier extended the uh, the, the, the outlines of what's going to happen here until June now. Uh, the schools are going to remain closed till at least then. There are still, if you believe what you see on social media, an awful lot of people that would think, well, you know, we can still open them for two or three weeks and that would be a good thing. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. But... Uh, teachers are still teaching, uh, students are still trying to learn, and we're still trying to get through the school year. Hamilton's teachers unions, though, are pushing against a directive for live video conferencing during this pandemic. Uh, it's a, a controversy that probably should not be surprising, given some of the acrimony that went around in the discussion about e-learning and things of that nature back in the contract negotiation days, which seemed like 100 years ago now since what we've had. But it's a real problem and a going problem right now with the, the teachers and, frankly, with a lot of the parents and uh, education specialists as well. Jeff Sorensen is the president of the Hamilton Wentworth Elementary Teachers uh, Local, and he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to bring us up to speed on this. Jeff, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. Oh, good morning. It's great to be here. Jeff, let me, before we actually get into the concerns here, which are very real, uh, maybe yeah. you could just uh, give us a, a brief outline for those uh, who may be not aware of just how teachers are handling what's going on during this pandemic and how uh, you're trying to, to maintain and keep a, 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 a relationship between student and teacher. Well, we have uh, teachers all the way I represent from kindergarten to grade 8 who are using technology at home uh, in a variety of different ways to meet student needs. Um, we're using Microsoft Teams, we're using Google Classroom, email, uh, blogs, uh, almost any technology that we can get our hands on to maintain uh, learning through the pandemic is what we're doing. And this has been ongoing. Uh, is it done in a, on a classroom basis or an individual basis? Uh, well, right now, what we're doing uh, mostly is uh, what we call asynchronous learning, which is uh, we're uploading either videos, texts, uh, documents, uh, lessons, and we're allowing families and students to, to access them as they are able to. We know that uh, many of our students uh, have brothers and sisters. Uh, many have parents that are online as well, and they don't always have access. So it, it's almost uh, a self-serve model where they use it when they can and we'll provide it when we can so this is not i don't want people to understand this it's not like you have to say okay everybody online at 905 this morning uh for a math lesson you can't really do that in this circumstance can you oh not at all uh first of all we don't know uh well we do know that most people wouldn't be able to log in when we uh when we'd be available uh but we also know that the technology isn't out there uh i i have to say to the board uh, that they've done a, a fairly good job of making sure technology is out there. But we know that, that there is an equity of access right now. Uh, there are many students uh, that don't have the technical abilities and the, uh, the access to, uh, to, to live learning. Uh, it, it, it's very recent technology. Uh, and to try to get 22, 23 students online all at the same time 
uh, all with functioning technology is, is almost impossible. And we've really had to do it on the fly. Nobody knew this was coming. Uh, this is not something we do on a day-to-day basis back uh, pre-pandemic. And it's probably not anything we're going to do after the pandemic, to tell you the truth. Well, what it does, it seems to, it, it's the fruition of, of some of the stuff you and I talked about during those contract negotiations about e-learning, about how there are different levels and, and, and different uh, skill sets, I guess, among students. Uh, the, the classroom can be a, a, a great equalizer because everybody's there and, and, you know, you can partake or in, in the lesson with obviously the teacher at the front of the classroom and going on this. But when they're all in individual homes and, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, some of these people may have, uh, parents that can be of assistance to them. Some may Maybe not. Uh, there's an inequity there that I guess I, I know you have been expressing that concern for months now. Yeah, uh, we. Uh, it, it's not a fair system. You know, when teachers are in the classroom uh, and students are in the classroom with them, uh, you can't uh, you can't beat that face to face intimacy, that face to face knowledge of what's going on in that physical space. And when you try to do it remotely and you try to do it with distance learning, it's just not the same way. Uh, you don't know which kids are having bad days. You don't know which kids are, are, are uh, have other factors going on in their life that make learning uh, very difficult. It, it's um, trying to do it synchronously, trying to do it live, uh, it's doing a disservice to, to that. Uh, it, it, it's not uh, accurate to think that you're in any way going to imitate what really happens in a classroom. All right, here's, uh, here's the rub. This is uh, the thing I think that's got a lot of people concerned about. Uh, in a memo to school boards on Friday, Education Minister Stephen Lecce and Deputy Education Minister Nancy Naylor said that while the ministry has expected teachers would, and here's the quote, embrace the use of synchronous learning during the school per- closure period, there has been an inconsistent uptake of this mode of learning. Uh, the memo goes on to call on teachers to increase virtual instruction, which can include whole class, small groups, or one-on-one learning. Uh, I'm getting the impression here that he's getting... The, the message he seems to be sending here at this point, Jeff, is that, that you guys aren't doing it, what, not doing what you're supposed to be doing here. And he, he's kind of laying this in front of the teachers, not the students or anybody else. Well, that's uh, interesting because they're asking us to engage in activities which are inherently unsafe for both staff and students. These activities, live electronic communication, is something that our College of Teachers, something that our employer, the Board of Education, and something that the Ministry of Education up to uh, the pandemic and up to a few weeks ago, even during the pandemic, uh, were, were strictly prohibited. They were things that we would get in trouble for. Uh, they were risky behaviors that we were warned and cautioned against. I assume that those same activities come the fall, if we're back in school in the fall or if in June, I'm assuming that those activities will again be seen as something that we should not be uh, engaging in, you know, that normalizing uh, adult-student communication outside of a controlled environment. So the fact that we're cautious, the fact that our members and our teachers are saying, wait a second, what does this really mean? Are there safety precautions in place? Has this been thought through? This is just being professional. And again, something that up until a few weeks ago, the, the very people who are telling us that we're not embracing it would have told us, don't you dare embrace it. Um, so it, the, the, it, it's not fair. Uh, we are going to do it if we find that it's going to be safe, uh, if it's something that we can say to uh, parents and, and families and, and students, uh, this is going to be fair and this is going to be safe. 
Uh, if our employers can guarantee that, I don't think that there's going to be an issue that we could embrace it going into the future. Well, I mean, I understand there's a policy on the records right now that uh, that says that uh, you know no one can take screenshots or use any other device to record classroom activities without asking first. But how are you going to know they're doing it until it's too late? Well, exactly. You know, electronic bullying, cyberbullying, we know is a huge issue, and this is just opening up that that Pandora's box again. We have. Uh, again, comparing it to bricks and mortar classrooms, if I'm standing in front of the class, I know exactly who's in the room. I know who's listening. I know what's going on. Uh, when we do it virtually, uh, I have no idea who's on the other end of the line. Uh, I don't know who else is listening beside the student. I don't know what's being revealed about one student to another student. Um, <clears throat> it, it, like I said, it's inherently risky. It's inherently dangerous. And no one seems to know how to keep uh, people safe. And, and I don't think it's unreasonable to ask our employer, our ministry, to say, if you can guarantee safety, not only of staff, but of students as well and their families, and if you can guarantee privacy, um, you know, we're all for teaching. We want to teach. We didn't want the pandemic. Uh, we'd rather be teaching. That's what we do. It's what we'd love to do. Uh, so it's not something that we're just categorically saying no to. It's something that we're saying, give us uh, credit. We're professionals. We have good judgment. We've listened to you in the past. And uh, if, if you can uh, show us how to do this in a responsible manner, you know, we'll, again, we'll embrace it. But the fact that there's a policy in place, Jeff, that says don't do this, seems to indicate to, to me uh, that... They've already done an assessment as to whether or not this can be done safely, and they said, no, it can't, so just don't do it. Now, all of a sudden, they're saying, yeah, well, forget that. Just go ahead and do this, because that seems to be the, the only avenue we can think of right now. Yeah, the only avenue they can think of, and, and really an unproven avenue. Uh, so far, I've never seen any evidence of that asynchronous learning uh, is, is any worse at getting students engaged and, and educating students. Uh, I don't know what the payoff is here. Um, I, I can imagine that we'd all love that face-to-face -face, uh, interaction that we get in a classroom prior and, and post that pandemic, uh, but I don't think that's going to happen virtually. I, it, it, it's unfortunate, uh, but I, I don't see that it's going to get more students engaged. It's not going to increase learning, or at least we've seen no proof that it's going to increase learning. Uh, so why would you take that step for something that you can't guarantee is going to actually have a payoff? Is there any dialogue at all between the ministry and the teachers on this? Uh, I know that our provincial organization, ETPO, is talking to the ministry every week, uh, and this is one of the big issues. We're talking to our board uh, every week, almost daily, on this issue. Um, and so we're, we're hoping that uh, either it can be made safe and made fair and equitable, or we see a different direction coming from, from those bodies. I, I'm told the uh, the Hamilton Board of Education is going to be sending a letter out to families uh, next week, I guess, which uh, sets up the board's guidelines for privacy and security in the virtual classroom setting, um, uh, among other things. In other words, it's reiterating the policy that's already on the books that families or some of the students may or may not even be aware of. But there's no guarantee that they're going to follow those guidelines, is there? Uh, absolutely none. I mean, And as you say, <laughs> it, it could be somebody else. I mean, when you're out there, it's out there. You don't know who's watching and who's listening and what they want to do with it. Well, exactly. You know, so far we've not talked about third parties. And we know that uh, technology gets hacked all the time. Uh, we don't know who's going to be in our virtual classroom. 
uh, not only in the students' homes, but in third-party homes. We don't know who's listening, who's recording, who's editing, who's mailing out again. Uh, It's just something that hasn't been thought through. I I appreciate the intent. The intent is to improve education. I'm all for that. Uh, But as as these bodies themselves, again, (laughs) for years they have told us, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And, and the change, uh, I, and I know we're in unprecedented times, I know it's a pandemic, that doesn't mean we should engage in risky behavior. The, the security concern is real, and I'm, I'm glad you're, you're underscoring that, because I mean, we've seen, and we've seen the, 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 the negative benef- effects of, of people that you know, will take something like this from, from uh, social media or from the, the Internet or from anything else and do their own editing on it, and, of course, re-release it, and then it's out there. It goes viral, and, and God knows what they're going to put out there. And we've seen character assassination of politicians, of, of public figures, all sorts of stuff, uh, and there's a concern about that. But the... This is kind of a two-pronged thing, because the other thing I see, I'm getting from you, though, Jeff, is there's a basic concern here about the level of education these students are getting, because this, again, <laughs> here we go. I, this sounds eerily similar to a conversation you and I had back in the, in, in the months earlier to this, when they were still trying to negotiate contracts. It seems as if the ministry is trying to insert a one-size-fits-all for students here. And uh, as we've talked about, and I think parents understand, and certainly educators understand, you can't have one-size-fits-all. No, I mean, education really is, you know, the great democratic equalizer. And, and I don't think, again, that you can substitute um, being in a classroom, being with students, being with adults, being with uh, trained professionals like teachers and education workers and, and, and uh, DECEs in kindergarten. Um, that's where it works the best. And, and you know, this pandemic, is, is, it's a horrible situation. Uh, it wasn't one that's asked for. Uh, we will try to do our best to maintain education, but I think uh, maybe at the end of the day we have to realize it's not going to be as good uh, as as what it was and what it will be again, which is actually having face-to-face, real, physical, uh, in, in, a, in a physical space, interaction between teachers and students. Um, this, I, I, I don't know why the ministry tries to pretend that it's uh, we can go on and we can uh, maintain our level of education uh, through a pandemic. We know that lots of industries, lots of service sectors are, are not doing as much as they could be uh, through no fault of their own. And I, I think that perhaps um, we have to realize through, uh, despite the fact that teachers and boards of education and, and parents and, and students are trying as hard as they can, uh, doing as much as they can, we're just not going to be back at that level. And, and, and that's okay. We'll get through the pandemic, and then we will get back to that level. Well, we'll see how the ministry responds. I know an awful lot of people are upset about this, and I have started to weigh in on this, and uh, I'd like to think that the government's going to be listening this time around. Uh, Jeff, we'll stay in touch on this. Thanks so much for the time today. I really appreciate it, and uh, continued good luck. He's hoping that uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel here for all of us. I appreciate that, Bill. You too. Take care. Jeff Sorensen, uh, president of the Hamilton Wentworth Elementary Teachers Association. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Even when we do start to get back to, uh, I hate to use the term normal because this isn't going to be normal, uh, there are going to have to be some changes made. I mean, things are different now, and I don't know if they're ever going to be uh, the same as they were seven, eight months ago. And that includes the delivery of health care. 
Uh, the pandemic has put a real strain on our health care system, of course. Well, the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario has put together a framework uh, to be released actually officially in about 25 minutes. Uh, they'll have a media conference about this, but I want to get a sneak peek on this. And to that end, we've uh, invited Doris Greenspun, who's the CEO for the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, to the Bill Kelly Show here on CHML uh, to give us a sneak peek as to what's going on. Doris, thank you for the time. Glad you could join us here today. Thank you very much, Bill. And I need to start where you ended and saying things will not be as they were. Well, I'm not sure they were as good as we think. As we I don't think so either. Of the COVID-19 and how many precious lives in nursing homes, just one example of the many that, like, like it's devastating what happened in nursing homes, right? So, we, we, we have an opportunity to make things better, actually. Well, as, as we've talked about in the past, people tend not to even think about health care and frontline workers like in, in long-term care facilities or nurses in ERs or any other department until somebody they know or they themselves are involved in the situation. Uh, and if COVID's done anything, it's shone the spotlight on this for an awful lot of people. Uh, and as you said, there's a lot that needs to be fixed here. And uh, I, I'm hoping that this is a discussion that's going to carry on, Doris, well past uh, this, this, this pandemic about a better delivery of healthcare system and, and, and more tools and, and, and support for healthcare workers. And a recalibrating bill, a recalibrating. Yeah. We are completely reliant on only hospital care, right? How many people stay without primary care now during the pandemic? How many people couldn't let their nurses come inside the house because the nurse couldn't get PPE? Um, how many people in nursing homes suffer terrible consequences and lost their lives? So we need the total recalibrating, and now is the time. You know, the government started before COVID, as you know, with Ontario Health Teams, and we were and continue to be very supportive. Now we need to recalibrate Ontario Health Teams to be what they need to be for all Ontarians at all times, including a better response to, to the next wave of COVID, which we likely may have, right? Well, it's inevitable. I mean, let me ask you how your association is looking at this, Doris. Uh, we, we hear our medical experts, both here and in the United States, talking about a second wave, and but it might be or it could be. I, I, the more I hear from doctors and the more I talk on this program, Doris, I'm getting the sense that it's going to happen. Whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of how severe it's going to be. Exactly. How severe and how local, right? It will be a cluster likely, but still... We cannot all the time put the whole health system, you know, on hold for people that have things other than COVID. And we need to attend to them, too. And that's where you need a much, much, much stronger community care and much more anchored in primary care. And as you know, that much you know that our report title is Enhancing Community Care for Ontarians. Yeah. Of course, I cannot divulge now the 13 recommendations, nine of which are system recommendations and four transition recommendations to get us from here to there. For that, you need to wait till 10 a.m., but I think that government uh, will take this to push forward, and we are uh, ready to, to work with all the stakeholders. We need to do it urgently. We can't wait. We have waited too long. 
Are you confident they're going to listen? Because Doris, this is not the first time these discussions have been been put forward about about better home care, for instance, about better staffing at long term care facilities, uh, about staffing within the hospitals. I mean, as bad as it is with COVID. Uh, there's going to be a real run on doctors and nurses once we get back up to speed because there's a backlog of surgeries that have been canceled that are going to have to go forward at some point. There's going to be great pressure on hospital beds, which is going to be great pressure on nurses once again. So let me tell you one piece of bright news. Given Good, that yeah. Today is 200 years of Florence Nightingale's birthday. Yes, That's it is. We are, doing the rep- we are releasing the report today and shining the light on Florence Forward, that we have heard from so many people, Bill, that they want to become nurses now, even more than before. Always we have a lot, even more now. So if you think people got scared to become an RN, no, more want. So now we need to have a system where they can work in all sectors in the way they need, and you will hear more at them. Well, it's gratifying, isn't it? I mean, we used to refer to nurses as the unsung heroes in the healthcare system. Uh, we know better now. I think as a society, we know the kind of contribution that they're making day in and day out, uh, sometimes at their own peril, uh, and, and that's sad that it's happening, but uh, they don't back away from that responsibility. They don't back away from those challenges. And uh, I think I think a lot of people have a much different opinion of, of nurses and frontline workers than they did six months ago. So, so just to, to put in context, uh, on all the public polls, all of them, for the last 15 years, nurses rate in the eyes of the public the highest, the highest in public trust, the highest in public respect. I think what people now realize in this country and in any other, quite frankly, is that you cannot have a health system without nurses. Not just a health care system, a health system. From public health all the way to palliative care and anything in between, Nursing is the pillar, is the fortitude. Yes, of course, we work with all of our health professionals, doctors in particular, midwives and others. But without nursing, just picture, right? There is no system. And that's well known and it's in all the research. So now it's time to listen to nursing even more so at the policy level, even more so, and move forward. Doris, I know you've got a media conference to go to, so I'll, I'll let you go. I really appreciate Thank you taking you the so time. Much. It's Florence Nightingale's birthday. This is International Nursing Day. I uh, couldn't think of a better time for you to release these recommendations. Uh, and once they are public, and uh, we're going to vet these, uh, we'd, we'd love to get you back on here to talk about these in detail. But thanks so much for Absolutely. this. Absolutely. For... Happy to be back. And thank you so much for the great work that you and everyone at the, uh, the Nurses Association do. Thank you, Doris. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Doris Greenspan, the CEO and Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But it's uh, a different perspective, I think, that a lot of folks have now, but the front care workers and, and the contributions and, and the danger that they put themselves in. And, and, you know, we're talking about COVID, obviously, with a virus. But there are other circumstances on a daily basis uh, where, where these frontline workers are exposing themselves to dangerous situations. But they do it. That's the job. And it's uh, fascinating to watch. Uh, not everybody seems to have an appreciation for that, unfortunately, but I think more and more people are starting to do that. Glad you're with us today. The Bill Kelly Show here on 900 CHML. I want to uh, pivot over to the political world for just a couple of seconds, if I could. Uh, watched the uh, the media conference yesterday. Uh, the, the Trump administration uh, had a, a pr- press conference. It was a PR move, really, in the Rose Garden. And uh, as per usual, they had the usual Donald Trumpisms, a, a lot of false information and false claims, which I guess we're kind of used to now, sadly. 
Uh, but a confrontation with the media, which I guess we're getting kind of used to as well. And uh, it did not go well. Uh, there's a lot of pushback right now coming from an awful lot of folks about uh, what many people consider to be uh, some racist comments made by the president about uh, the Chinese and, and the, you know, that this was their whole thing. The whole thing was was their idea, their creation, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's one of the things Trump does about deflecting blame onto somebody else. Uh, Henry Jasek, political science professor at McCrossy University, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Henry, good morning. How are you doing today? Just fine, Bill. It was it was, it was was Donald Trump at being Donald Trump yesterday, sadly. Uh a lot of misinformation as he, you know, the banners on either side of him, statistics that he was going out there, which proved not to be true uh, under any analysis, and then a confrontation with the media, which is typical Trump. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's stumbling around. It is it is amazing to see what, what this virus has done to him, and he just doesn't know how to play it, and he's tried about three different strategies rotating around them and i mean certainly he's returned to one of them that it's all china's fault don't blame me uh you know uh, blame china uh so that that's one of the themes he's trying to play but i think the 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 really the outcome of all this is that he's really lost uh quite a bit of credibility uh with people uh, people just basically you know have lost a, a great deal of confidence in him we thought you know, for the longest time, that was nothing he could do to sort of lose the you know a solid grip of that uh, of, of people that he had for the most part uh, back in 2016. But he he seems to be losing even part of those uh, of that group because he's just uh, contradictory. He you know he just seems to go you know lurch from from explanation to explanation, uses vague words, and of course you know. When he does get anywhere specific, it's you know people no longer believe that he's telling something, telling uh, telling the American people something that's accurate. So it's uh, it's he's met his match uh, in in this virus, that's for sure. It's interesting. Even yesterday, uh, you know, this was touted as a a COVID update, uh, and again, he'd started off with incorrect information, but he's spouting about how whether you know, had the best record in the world, which they don't, no. uh, and the most uh, in testing, which they don't. I think they're sixth or seventh, not, not first, as he anticipates or is yes. suggesting. But how long, Henry? It took him about three minutes to four minutes after he had read what was written for him on, on the dais there, and he got back into the economy. And, you know, that was all. It, it, that, that's obviously his focus right now. It's not about mm. the pandemic and the destruction that it's caused. It's, it's got to get the economy. We're going to have a great economy next year. It's going to be fabulous next year. It, it, it was a rah-rah speech, not really, not a whole lot really about COVID. That's right. Well, it, the thing is, his whole strategy for winning re-election was that he was running a great economy. And he just and and once he's lost that, I mean, and he lost it so dramatically because of what had to happen as a result of the uh, of the virus, uh, he 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 sort of you know constantly figures out how can I get back to convincing people they ought to reelect me because of the economy, uh, even though you know, it, it, and he starts saying things that that are just people people just don't believe. Uh, we know that you know uh, the people are terribly afraid of of the virus. Uh, in some senses, maybe even too much afraid of the virus. But we know, and, you know, in the United States, uh, over two-thirds of the population believe that the states are opening too soon, because uh, that, so that, you know, manifests the, the fear there and, and the opening up. And, uh, and they're not, you know, cons- 
as concerned with the economy, uh, at least for the large part of the American public, as he is, and the demonstrators that you see here and there in different places, uh, they just, they essentially, you know, the American people basically believe that, uh, you know, the economy uh, will only come back if they can, if they feel safe again, and not only safe with the, with the, um, you know, not getting the virus, but also safe that uh, they will have uh, some sort of uh, income coming in over over the intermediate hall over the next three to five years that they can count on, and they keep hearing, oh, you know, we're going to have second and third waves, and so people are worried about that, and and they just they're tuning him out. They're just tuning out the president, and I think you really see this in, in state polls, states that look like you know he that he'd won in the past, looked like he would, might win him again, he should win him again in this next election, and he's losing those states. And not only that, the Republicans who are running on the ticket with him are also running behind. He's pulling them down. So there's a, there's a real sense of panic that he has and the people have in the White House, and they just don't know what to do, and he doesn't know what to do. Henry, he keeps talking about, you know, reopening the economy and, and, and you know, he's, he's applauding the governors that are simply saying, like in Georgia, that, okay, let's just throw this thing open. Uh, Dr. Fauci and others have said, look, there is going to be a second wave and, and how severe it's going to be really depends on how we react. And even again, as yesterday, Fauci wasn't invited to the thing at the Rose Garden, but I mean, he did make a public statement yesterday and he's going to be appearing before a Senate committee, I guess, uh, later this week. Mm -hmm. And he basically said, it's going to happen. And, and if we're just going to throw caution to the wind, like a lot of people are suggesting they're going to do here, it's going to be worse than, than what we've gone through already. Uh, Trump, does, does he really think that when he throws the switch and say open the doors that everything is going to just fall back into where it was before? That people are going to flock to restaurants and, and start buying things and big ticket items? Because I, 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 I don't get that. I, I, the people I've talked to and the public opinion polls that you've just alluded to seem to indicate just the opposite. That's right. I mean, he's, he's painting a picture that he wants to believe in, that he hopes for, and he's hoping if he can be enthusiastic about painting that picture, people will really believe it. Notice a lot of his language is, what a great year 2021 is going to be. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, that's after the presidential election. Yeah. I mean, he could say whatever he wants about after that. Uh, you know, if he's totally wrong, it's too late for people to change their vote at that time. So he's hoping they'll believe him. But, I, but the people are not believing him and they see just too much evidence that how you know things can go wrong we even look at places you know that had handled the uh, the coronavirus virus uh, and we've seen you know where things could easily quickly go wrong and we just see you know south korea which handled it beautifully and one guy comes into south korea goes to five nightclubs in one night from what i can tell and affected uh, and as infected you know, anywhere between 50 to 80 people just one person, and you just see how how fragile it is to keep, uh, you know, basically to, to to fight this virus. You give it a little opening, and it just rushes right through. And uh, that's what the medical people are constantly telling him. And he uh, and 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 then and people really believe that it can happen because they see it uh, from other places, and uh, they believe the medical experts, and they don't believe Donald Trump and. Uh, he, uh, you know, his his economic message is not going to work until people are convinced. I think that they've solved the uh, that they basically brought under control the the medical problem. Well, picture is worth a thousand words, and as you watch the the long shots on TV last night of uh, of his rose garden, uh, thing, yes. Uh, <laughs> All the media, what media were there, of course, because they're social distancing as well, mm. uh, 
many of the White House staff that were off on the side, everybody's wearing face masks except Trump and, and Pence and et cetera. Yes. So it's pretty obvious, Henry, I think, who they're listening to these days. I mean, when your own personal safety is at, at stake, uh, you listen to the medical experts, not the uh, the guy in the in the Oval Office. That's right. Bizarre. You, they, see, they see what he's doing or the people around him are doing, and it's a total variance of what he says. Exactly. Henry, always a pleasure to get your perspective. Uh, always new twists on this, too. I know we'll talk again in just a couple of days. Appreciate the time today. Okay. My pleasure, Bill. Take care. Henry Jasek, of course, political science professor at uh, McMaster University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.